Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast, where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income, and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach, and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty, as always. <laughs> How are you, Pete? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm trying to think. Uh, I love so... the way you say Moriarty. <laughs> it's like a bingo caller. Yeah, we've given up trying to uh, make these intros uh, <laughs> seamless. Uh, I can never think of what to say, so I'll just say the same thing. Uh, so today we're um, going to talk about static versus dynamic models. Now, I think last week I started with a cricket analogy which was uh talking about uh, <laughs> which went over the head of 80 percent of the audience <laughs> yeah, well i was thinking uh, on the static versus dynamic thing so i used to play um, a lot of club cricket back in the day and i remember it used to turn up uh, usually hung over on a saturday morning <laughs> and then before the game they get every, everyone would stand around in a circle and it's like right okay uh, now we're going to loosen up the right you know hamstrings and now we're going to loosen up okay we'll do a few stretches and then you go and start the start the game of cricket, and of course somebody will pull a hamstring. And, <laughs> Do a hammy. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, throw their arm out, dislocated shoulders, and all the rest of it. It's become better understood over time that dynamic stretching can be much more useful because it actually accords with the reality. And I, I'm pretty sure it was was it DK Lilly who said. Uh, back in the day, that sure, you know, fitness and running is important, but actually the best exercise for a bowler in cricket is simply to get out there and bowl. Yeah, yeah. Because you're using the muscles that you will actually use in the action of bowling, which is a pretty unnatural exercise. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people in physio these days have found that dynamic stretching is much better than static. Uh, so today um, we're, we're talking about stock market investing and dynamic versus static models and yep. i guess in the at the end of the day what we're trying to impress and get across is that you've got to use models that accord with reality and not um just a static model which uh, you know is, is let's talk about buying holes shall we well it's very <laughs> yeah i mean something that's very simple but doesn't necessarily always work yeah i think that the main point I, i'd sort of try to say to people is that and i'm you know I think people have worked out I'm not really a big fan of efficient markets hypothesis. But the reason why is because I don't think it accords with reality. And what I mean by that is that the important point, Howard Marks said, where you start out determines where you end up. And what I think the meaning of that is you can't simply be 20 or 60, and I'm about to contradict myself here, but what I'm sort of saying is that you can't just have one size fits all. And the efficient market hypothesis guys would go, yeah, 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 that's true. You can do uh, risk analysis and stuff on individuals. But just the idea that the market, when it's cheap, i.e. with a, a low cape ratio, is exactly the same as the market when it's high with a high cape ratio is wrong. That's the static view that you get 
if they say, what's my returns going to be over 30 years? Okay, it's going to be, you know, on average 8%. And that's the figure that's bandied about a lot. But what they don't realise is that there are good periods to invest and bad periods to invest, and you need to have a dynamic strategy. As I talked uh, maybe, I think, last one or the previous session about Ed Easterling saying, you know, you've got to adapt to the times. It's no good being in a bear market, in a secular bear market, and going, oh, well, no, I'm just going to stuff it. I'm just going to stick it out with a, you know, a fundamental investing. I don't think that works these days, particularly given the higher level of volatility and interconnectedness between the markets. So I, I think that the set and forget model, I don't think works anymore. If, we, if you're accepting that a dynamic model causes reality better and therefore would deliver superior returns. So we talk about capital growth theory yep, or yep. CGT. Can you explain to us a little bit about what is capital growth theory yep. and how does it actually translate into better returns? Well, the, the, the capital growth theory is basically Kelly's formula. The reason why I, I prefer that, that model over the efficient market hypothesis is when you read when you read what the assumptions are, it reads a lot more like reality. And so, for example, Kelly or capital growth theory says, well, it's a series of bets over a long term time frame. Well, that's all your superannuation is. You're putting money into the market in January, February, March, blah, blah, blah. So the idea of the sort of efficient markets or the buy and hold is, oh, well, you just keep plugging money into the market. Whereas that's like just saying every time you get dealt a card, doesn't matter what it is, just bet the same amount of money. Well, that's a stupid idea. And it, it strikes me as being intellectually lazy to say that as well as being incorrect. And what's happened is over the last, you know, since everybody sort of started saying, mm, this theory doesn't look like it's that good, then they started adapting it to having a weak version or a semi-strong version. I mean, honestly, you know, talk about trying to hang on to a theory. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, markets are efficient except when they're not. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it's just the, the idea then, though, is that if, if you're going to be an investor – even if you're investing for 40 years or 30 or 20, you can't take your eye off the ball at like a set and forget because the reality is, as we, as we harp on about all the time, in 2008, if you'd have taken your eye off the ball when you were going to retire, you ended up with a lot less money at the end, right? And that's why we say, well, yeah, because the CAPE ratio was at 27 or 28 in the US, it was at about 30 in Australia, you know, that's telling you you've got to do something because the market's expensive. Part of the problem, I think, I think a lot of the problem is you've made money, right? And in the US, people forget it doubled from 03 to 07. Naturally enough, you're thinking, you know, what a no-brainer. I'll just leave my money in the market. Rather than say what we talk about with the models, you know, even if you'd have used CAPE and said, well, I'll ease out on the way up, you'd have still done better over the longer time frame than you would by doing a static, you know, like, oh, I just buy and hold. Because if you bought in 1982, you did really well because the cake was cheap. But if you bought in 2000, which a lot of people over the last 20 years have done, you've made basically nothing. Now, there's a big difference there. 
And part of it is by saying you can't be a static investor these days or or in previous times because that's not how the compounding works properly. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point, actually, because there's this definitely, um, you talked about being intellectually lazy. It's very easy to take um, a long-run set of figures and say, well, look, here's the average return. Yeah. I'll take up all the returns, divide them by the number of years. And you know, people like the idea because it's, it gives them a, a number that's very easy to calculate. Now, if you're, if you're taking a more dynamic approach, obviously non-linear returns, it's a lot more difficult... You know, it's a more complex calculation, but um, if you're actually interested in compounding your wealth, you see people talk about compounding their wealth by investing for the long term, and that's that's fine as far as it goes. But the way compounding works, and we've talked about this many times before, you don't get the average return; you get the geometric return. Yeah. So, take the example today. I mean, there are dozens of markets. There's countries all over the world you can invest in. There are sectors you can invest in. If you invest in a um, in a market that goes from two dollars to one dollar, that's fifty percent of your money that's gone. You know, but if you if you look to invest in a market that's already gone from two dollars to a dollar, and then it bounces to a dollar fifty, you've made fifty percent. Now that doesn't it almost doesn't seem fair. Yep. But that's you know, but that <laughs> I is, know that feeling. But that is exactly <laughs> we all know that feeling. What we're talking about is that if you just leave money in an expensive market, you can have a fifty percent drawdown. Yeah. Whereas if you simply, uh, and as you said, you don't have to bet the same amount every month or every yep. you know quarter. Especially Pete, if you're thinking about the long term, it's a bit like well, what's the bloody rush? You know, like it, it's you imagine if I said to you, if I showed you the the pyramid of returns, right, or, and which over the long term looks fairly well like a normal distribution, right? And you, we've do, we do this in our session on uh, macro valuation by saying to people, here's all the returns from when the Cape ratio was low. They're all green. Here's the returns from when the Cape ratio is really high. They're all red. Okay. Now the average is eight percent. If you were any sort of person who was normal, you'd say, all right, give me a yell when the cape's green and I'll, you know, I'll run with that. Because it's the same thing, like you said before, about the average of 8%. What they don't say is, oh, yeah, some people got 16 and some people got zero. Which one would you like to be? I'd like to be the one that gets 16. Oh, okay. Well, toddle off, come back in, you know, when the market's ready and then we'll work on getting you closer to that than we will in getting zero. And by and and again, particularly if you said, oh, Steve, I'm investing for 40 years. It's like, okay, well, you don't need to rush. You know, if you said, Steve, I've got to have double my money by next week, then it's like, okay, well, head off to the casino. But if you've got a longer term time frame, you actually want to think in a dynamic way. And by that, what I'm trying to say is, if the market's expensive, don't worry about it. Because we know it'll become cheap. Be active or dynamic in your approach rather than say, oh, well, you know, I have to buy now because I don't want to miss out on the long term. And it's like, well, you're going to buy when things are expensive. You know, that's not the approach. You've got to basically be attentive to what's going on. An old friend of mine years ago said to me, who was an environmental activist, you know, and, and he said, what the one lesson I'll give you is be a half-hearted fanatic. And I sort of went, what's a half-hearted fanatic? And he said, well, half the time 
you want to, you know, be an environmental activist, be active, you know, try and help. But the other half of the time, just relax, right? Don't burn yourself out by doing too much, nor do you just ignore it, right? You've got to be dynamic. And as we sort of coach in the, the program, the market offers you the return. It's much easier to let the market come to you and say, we've crashed, now I'm offering you good value, as opposed to being trying to force the market because you want to get a big return when it's not there. Yeah, so investing is not a one-off activity. It's a multi-period yeah. activity. So Absolutely. That, that in itself tells you you should take a bit more of a dynamic approach. Yep. I think it would it be fair to say that the efficient markets hypothesis it kind of suits the financial services industry because if you're an advisor or a fund manager for one thing it's very easy to say well here's an average return that you can expect but uh, I suppose what what is very rarely said by advisors or fund managers is hey the market's expensive you might want to take some money back (laughs) yeah there's there are other asset classes you can invest in but the general idea uh, the general widespread belief is that you know you get about the, you know, you get about eight or 10%. But when you, like you say before, about the geometric return, which is actually six, then you take off taxes, then you take off charges, investors get pretty crap returns. Um, Why? Because they suffer these big drawdowns. You know, that's what really kills you. And the way to guarantee yourself a drawdown is to ignore the market. You know, it's sort of like saying, I'm going to take my hands off the steering wheel and hope like hell I get to the destination. It's not going to happen, you know, because you've got to be more active or dynamic about it. But your point about the the financial industry is true. You've got to to make it the broad appeal is by saying, well, you know, on average, you'll get 8%. The problem is none of us are smart enough when we walk into investing or to an advisor to say, what will I get if I invest my money now? depending on when you're going to retire and those sorts of issues. So it's much more nuanced is probably what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say rather than just a broad sweep of like, oh, well, you'll get 8%. You know, it's like the old phrase, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. I mean, I, I've seen enough of this in the real estate industry. Uh, very rarely, especially for people in the industry, if they're, if they're going to get a commission on a sale, you would never hear somebody say that it's a bad time to buy. It doesn't matter if the market (laughs) is absolutely, it could be the most raging hot property market in in history. It would still be like, oh, it's still a good time to get in because people will... It's going to go up. Yeah, well, they'll very rarely see past the next fee. And, you know, I've seen this, you know, in, uh, you know, buyer's agents or real estate agents. And, you know, they talk about being contrarian and all the rest of it, but... You know, I've, I've been there at the peak of markets and seeing the same people there bidding along with everybody else. You know, because Yeah, because it's, you know, if, they, if their business is built around generating fees, then there's never going to be a bad time to buy. Uh, now, as I said, you know, there are, there are good and bad advisors in the uh, in financial services industry. And, you know, some people have vested interests, some don't. But I guess this is one of the things that by quoting a, a very simple to calculate average return, um, there'll never be a bad time. It doesn't matter if the, yep. you know, uh, the markets, uh, if the Cape ratio is at 44, there'll still be people out there saying, oh, you know, well, new, new paradigm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the thing talking about models, you know, and, and simplicity is 
it's actually much simpler to do because it makes the decision, I suppose, a lot have a lot more clarity regarding simple things like the CAPE ratio or how long the market's been going up or whether you're in a bull market, which is all pretty simple, as opposed to just saying, oh, well, I'm just using a buy and hold strategy. I, I still don't get a buy and hold and, and what? You know, and what, sell? Oh, okay, well, when are you going to sell? Oh, uh, when I retire. Well, what about if you lose 50% the year before you retire? Oh, well, in that case, I'll sell then. Well, how do you know you'd sell then? Uh, gee, I don't know. So, you know, it's, it's sort of paradoxical, but to say dynamism makes you see things a little simpler because you're working from reality. And if, 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 for example, like with, because I use capital growth theory, it's really simple. Have I got an edge? No. Okay. There you go. Now that doesn't mean I'm never going to have an edge over the next 30 years, but what I'm doing is reading and looking at things and then going one day, ah, the market's crashed. Now I've got an edge and now I'll invest. Whereas if you're a buy and hold investor, you haven't taken advantage if there's a market decline. You may have through your financial advisor, but rather than saying, hey, now's a good time to put in more money rather than just the same old amount. And plus, you've got to remember, you know, when the market crashes 30%, and I had this yesterday where people say, oh, I'm missing out on the upside. And it's like, yeah, I know. But you also missed out on the 30% downside. So if you'd have had your money in there, you'd have lost 30 before you made 30. So in actual fact, you're still down 15 because of the geometric returns. And people still, a lot of people still don't understand that. So like, I, but I just feel like I'm missing out. And it's like, no, 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 you actually lost money. You know, all that money you made in 2019, guess what? Poof, it just went in 2020. You know, why? Because the market's expensive. And because you've got a static view of, you know, this uh, buy and hold idea rather than say buy and sell and you keep clipping the ticket and people will talk about taxes and, you know, charges and stuff, but it still shows you that capital growth is the, is the way to maximise your wealth. So if, um, if, you, if you would need to take a dynamic approach to maximise your wealth, how active should you be? So we've got a model called yeah. the eight timeless principles, but how yeah. active should you be? Well, or is it, that down to personal choice? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sort of down to personal choice. The really important part of investing, and we might have discussed this before, might have said this before, is rebalancing is really, really important. That's the way that you can succeed in markets is by rebalancing. The more you rebalance, the more you'll make money. Um, now, we haven't got enough time to discuss that in its deep complexity, but simply saying it depends on your time frame of how much time you want to pay attention to your portfolio. You know, and again, if people said, oh, look, I haven't got a lot of time, that doesn't mean that a simple model of, say, you know, monthly rebalancing will reduce your returns. And so, again, it's trying to say to people, just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. You know, and most people think, oh, and, and you see this a fair bit, oh, well, you know, the more you buggerize around with the portfolio, the more you lose money, the more you turn over. Well, Jim Simons turns over a fair bit and he seems to be doing all right. Thanks very much. You know, so, and Simons has made money 
partly from fees, but he makes money on his own money. Mm. There was something in that years ago, wasn't there? Because uh, the the brokerage fees many years ago, they used to be stupendously expensive, yeah. uh, particularly for your first uh, 10 or 15 trades of the year or something. And then, then you got a lower brokerage. But actually, these days, brokerage fees, depending on who... Yeah, who, which platform you use, they can be relatively uh, immaterial, yeah. especially as you progress through life because you're managing a larger balance anyway. Absolutely. So the fees are, are less of an issue. The other one, just sorry, Pete, on that while I think of it, is the one that strikes me was um, the Turtle Traders. can't remember the guy's name, but the, the, the movie Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd was based on the Turtle Traders, which was... We can take people who know nothing about the stock market, we can teach them about how to buy and sell stocks and make them rich. And that was exactly what happened. You know, so it was but a, a dynamic approach, right? It wasn't buy and hold, you know, it wasn't fundamental investing, you know. So there's a lot of a lot of things out there that are sort of believed by the industry that I think are, are some in some ways myths. They're so ingrained, it takes an experienced investor rather than a, a novice to go, oh, well, hang on, that's not really true. And if you speak to a lot of personal investors that invest their own money, I think you'd find most people would say, yeah, 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 we don't comply with the efficient market hypothesis. You know, they we've all developed our own style. It's dynamic and it's also fairly simple. So a dynamic approach then incorporates changes in the market environment. Yeah, yeah. So it takes into account price, valuation, absolutely, expected returns, as opposed to the static approach, which basically says, well, to hell with looking at what's gone before. Just keep pumping the same amount of money in the market. Yes. Yeah, which you know makes a lot of sense. And uh, as we've uh, stressed in, in a previous episode, it... Just because you're taking a dynamic approach, it doesn't need to be complex. And, yeah. it, and in fact, in many ways, a simple, simple dynamic approach can be more effective because there are fewer moving parts and less that can go wrong, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's important about the information part of it. You know, like if you get new information, it seems pretty, <laughs> seems pretty stupid to me to go, all right, okay, now I'll do nothing. It's like, oh, okay. Don't know whether that's the best strategy, particularly if we're now where we've got, you know, 200 odd years of market history in the US and data that really shows, you know, one interesting point I, I point out to people is, you know, the market has spent 75% of its time either declining, right, or getting back to where you originally were. So it spent, if you bought it a dollar for argument's sake, it spent 75% of its time falling or from that falling point getting back to a dollar. So in other words, it spends about, I think it's about 25% of the time actually advancing. When you look at that, you have to say, well, if you, if you rebalance, that will improve your returns because wherever you buy, you're going to spend more time falling or getting back where you were. If you can rebalance as it's falling, that means you're going to generate more on the upside. But you can't, again, you can't leave it there because it's going to fall from there again. So you've got to have this dynamic strategy. Yeah. So you're constantly reassessing the portfolio and just peeling money off at highs and putting it back into the lows. Before, yep. before we wrap up on today, 
Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Black Swan events and randomness. So uh, we're recording this in 2020. And uh, if you'd have said to us at the beginning of the year, I mean, I guess a lot of people had known for some time we were approaching the peak of the business cycle because, you know, we've been through a long sort of 10, 12 year bull market. We had very low unemployment. There was all kinds of indicators of wild behavior going on. But uh, nobody really knew that you know a global pandemic was on their cards. And then what seems to be a somewhat um, sort of random event, um, what some people would call a black swan. Or yep. a, you know, you could question that because pandemics... Bloody grey. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> pandemics do come around. But um, so in terms of um, how a model and a dynamic model might account for randomness and the sort of the Kelly model and approach to investing... Uh, so how does that all fit together into the whole? The the thing about randomness, because again, one of the points that the market uh, that is talked about in the stock market is, you know, it's random. So you don't know what the stock market's going to do. That's one of the assumptions of the efficient market hypothesis. And I thought about this for a long time because you sort of accept it. And even, you know, people say, oh, life is not completely random but it's more random than you think. Okay, fair enough. That's true. But again, if you look at the stock market, it can do two things, right? It can go up or it can go down. In my mind, if you think about it, when the stock market declines, the government steps in or, you know, the business cycle works or Essentially, the government does something and says, right, we better give people some money and... Shuffles the deck. Yeah. So it's not completely random in that... Yeah. If the market falls 30 to 40%, then that's when the stimulus We're going to do starts. something about it. Yeah, that's right. And so when you think about that, the, the laws of randomness don't, in my mind, don't really apply because we can actually influence the outcome of what's going on. Whereas if it was sort of ran, true randomness, right, you couldn't have any influence on it. Whereas what I look at and say is when the market either goes up or goes down. The more it goes up, the more you should take off the table. Why? Because we've got a fair idea with market cycles that it's going to go down. And then when it's really cheap, guess what? Things are really awful. Things are really crappy. And the government says, we're going to spend some money like they did in the GFC and in other market crashes. That's what, that to me is the greatest ability to say buy at the market lows. You know, why? Because it's pretty rare that a government would end up back in 1929 going, well, we'll just let the market sort it out. That the, If there's anything we learned from the Great Depression, it was don't let the market sort it out because it won't sort trap. it out. Yeah, I think, uh, in fact, that's, it's becoming less and less likely now. But I think uh, people have seen the Japan uh, episode play out. So these days, um, central banks in yeah. particular are much uh, quicker and um, stronger policy responses. Well, they're trying to hold up the market, which I th- personally I think is wrong, but th- you can see what they're trying to do. I think what they're trying to do is say, Jesus, let's not have another 07, 08 episode because as far as I can see in that 13-year period, nothing's changed. No, and I think uh, it can give rise to these uh, sort of zombie companies where yeah. the, the cost of servicing their debt is actually more than they're earning. Yep. And it's a big problem in the US now, and Japan had its own challenges in that regard. I suppose it, just on the randomness point, so you know, if you're listening to media commentary day to day, it's noise, noise, noise. Yep. Whereas uh, the model uh, that we use, the Kelly model, 
doesn't really deal in noise. It deals in signals, you know, and it's uh, yeah. it's saying, well, look, uh, the the signal is that the market is cheap or the market is expensive. The noise, well, that's what's going on in the media in the background. Yeah, yeah. The signal in, in my mind, and I think we've talked about this before, the signal is the CAPE ratio. You know, now, you know, people might say, oh, the CAPE ratio, this CAPE ratio, as we've talked about. But essentially, I still look at it and go, listen, it's a pretty good indicator to tell you how you're going to do over the next period of time. The dynamism comes in when the CAPE ratio has gone from 10 to 25. Again, you've got another signal, but it's it, it's not a signal that says buy and hold. It's a signal that says, listen, mate, you've had a good run. How about you take a bit off the table? You know, that's where I think it's actually relatively simple when you look at investing, you know. And again, this is how people like Warren Buffett, who's a Kelly-style investor, has made his money is by saying, I'll just pile my cash up. Then when the opportunity comes, I'll do really well because I'm buying at the bottom of the market. You know, and that's, that anybody can do that. If you're, if for example, you're running your self-managed super fund, just let the cash pile up and people are like, oh, I'm missing out. It's like, you're not missing out on anything. If the market falls from 3,000 to 2,000 and it's then cheap, well, you're going to be thankful that you've got an absolute bucket of cash that you can put into the market at the lows. Yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, you know, so what we've been talking about today is um, different models for approaching uh, the stock market and investing. And it's very often said out there, you know, you should just take a static approach and a static model to investing. And that's simply just don't even look at what's happening, just throw money into the market. Whereas we're saying, you know, even just by using a very simple dynamic model, um, you can get uh, better returns with less risk. You know, it's, it, it doesn't need to be complex. It can simply be an observation, as Stephen said, that in the end, the market can only go up or down. Uh, so try to look at the the signals rather than the noise, which is the, the daily media commentary. So thanks for joining today. Uh, that's it for this week. And we look forward to joining you next week on the Low Rates, High Returns podcast. Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.